the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Today, Lisa Turkus is back on the podcast, and we're going to catch up with Lisa, talk about some extremely difficult times she's had over the last few years, how she led through it. You're going to pick up some incredible tips along the way, and we're going to talk about a whole lot more. Today's episode is brought to you by Overflow and by Compassion International. Overflow can help empower your donors to give stock donations. You can go to overflow.co, that's overflow.co slash carry, and learn more about year-end pricing and download their free stock giving guide. And I love Compassion. You can meet a practical need for a child in poverty this holiday season if you go to compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. So Lisa is the president of Proverbs 31 Ministry, the author of more than 25 books, including her latest, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Losing Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. It's a fascinating book. And, um, well, she talks about the death of her marriage. And uh, that was a very, very painful chapter, as you can imagine. Those of you who've gone through that, uh, you can't imagine it. We talk about that. We also, in this episode, talk about how do you lead through personal crisis? I asked her, how did you lead Proverbs 31, a massive organization, while things were really crumbling on the inside? And she gives some incredible counsel. And then giving your permission, you're going to love this part, giving yourself permission to get out of leadership things you don't like. Uh, really good tips. And then um, the difference between when you need to establish a boundary and when you need to say goodbye and a whole lot more. So for all of you who are new, welcome to the podcast. We're really glad you're here. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and maybe share it with your friends. Shout out Lisa. That's Lisa with a Y. Lisa's on social. And uh, give us a note too. We do our best to repost when you share. And uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, I hope this finds you well. Well, you might be frustrated as a leader because you're saying to yourself, you know what? Nobody ever gives stock to us. How come we hear about all these big donations to other organizations, but nobody actually gives us stock? Well, this is a huge misconception in the giving space today. Actually, what if your donors want to give stock in part because it's the most tax efficient way to give? They just don't want to jump through all the hoops to do so. So Overflow is an online software that empowers donors to easily give stock donations to churches and nonprofits within minutes, not months. And the traditional method, I promise you, takes months. 90% of U.S. wealth is in non-cash assets like stock. Churches that only accept cash donations leave a generosity gap. Overflow will help you bridge that gap. The average cash donation in the U.S. is just $128, but the average stock donation through Overflow is over $10,000. Interested in unlocking more giving channels this season? Visit overflow.co slash carry. That's .co, not .com. And so it's overflow.co slash carry. And you can learn more about year-end pricing and download their free stock giving guide. And it's almost Christmas. I know it's getting here soon. Not too late, though, to do something meaningful. Your church is going to be asking you, hey, what are you doing uh, this Christmas for people in need? And if you don't have a good answer and you haven't done anything or you want to do something more, partner with Compassion. They've got this thing called Giving Tree. You put it up in your lobby or lobbies if you're a multi-site church. And on there are some life-giving gifts that will make a huge difference to kids in poverty 
this year. Compassion is an organization I believe in. I work with them. I was talking to them again recently. They do incredible work. I've seen it firsthand. It goes where it's supposed to go. And you can head on over to compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. That's compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. You can still get in on this. And best yet, they partner with the local church. So check it out at compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. And now my conversation with Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa, welcome back. So good to have you. Thank you. It's always a joy to spend a few minutes with you on your podcast. Such an honor. So thank you for having me. It's an honor to have you. And, you know, I think this is maybe the third time or the fourth time that you've been a guest on the podcast, but so much has happened since we were last together here. Um, So to the extent that you're comfortable sharing, can you give us a little update on what's taken place over the last couple of years. And just to let people who track with you, because so many people do know what's what's happened. Yeah. So I think for those of, of your listeners that have followed along with my journey, um, which has been pretty public because, you know, I, I lead a public life. And so that's just part of it. But um, I had some pretty significant devastations that occurred in my marriage and um, fought really hard for many years to save the marriage. And um, I'm a big believer in marriage. And, you know, I was married 30 years and it meant so much to me. It was definitely my most significant human relationship and one that I never saw ending. But heartbreakingly, my marriage did end. And instead of calling it a divorce, I call it the death of my marriage because that's how deep the grief was. It was really a death in my life. And so when I no longer was working on the marriage after it um, it died, then I was free to work on myself. And I needed to work on myself. And so the past several years, I have been doing a lot of work, both from a theological standpoint and a therapeutic standpoint, to make sure that I heal, that I recognize what I need to recognize about myself. And um, part of that is what led me to want to write a book on boundaries and goodbyes. I realized I'm not good at either one. So I definitely wrote this book from my point of struggle, not strength. Um, but what I was learning, it was so important and I've seen it transform some really important relationships in my life for the better. And so I felt like I wanted to give this information and, um, and really revelation to other people. Yeah. And, you know, in some of your previous books and then in the new book and, was it Good Boundaries and Goodbye? Is that it? Yes. Uh, it is the title, which is, a f- I remember you telling me the title a number of months ago, and I'm like, oh, that's a good title. <laughs> like, it's a great title, Lisa. Um, but you go through just in a lot of detail just how agonizing it was. And as we talked about in a previous episode, uh, you know, it's a different perspective in this book, but looking back on that the cancer you had and then the surgery that you had, like you said, this, this kind of angst almost killed you. Like literally the, the link you link it in this book between the, the psychological, the emotional pain and the physical 
pain and your doctor said this, this almost killed you. How did you, because, and, and I'm, I'm asking this question because so many people listening are leading through pain. They're leading through personal pain, maybe the death of their marriage, maybe a struggle with a child, maybe some inner stuff from childhood that they're working through. And certainly the last three years, everybody has led through crisis, never, never ending crisis. I would, and, and Proverbs 31 is a huge organization. Like we've been together in person. I'm at some of your team. And if people, I don't think people know how big your audience is or how responsible you are as a boss and a CEO. But I want to know, how did you lead your organization while you were going through all of this? Because it seems almost impossible. Well, there were seasons that I didn't. There were seasons I took a step back. And I also realized that I needed to be absolutely honest with myself about what I could do and what I couldn't do and what I had to give and what I did not have to give. And I started transitioning um, some key leaders to be able to fill the gaps when I may need to t- you know, take a step back. And there were different seasons where I just had to have a break. But also, I always had this perspective too. I didn't have to continue in ministry. I felt the desire to continue ministry. And part of the reason is because leading from that messy middle or even helping other people from the messy middle is really where we're all at all the time in life to different degrees of severity. And that's where people live. People live in the middle of their issues and problems. And so, you know, I I did what I felt like was healthy and appropriate, but I also gave myself a lot of grace in the process. If we can break that down a little bit, uh, I, I wouldn't mind looking at... Um, some of the things you delegated, because I mean, you are like a lot of our listeners right now, particularly those who work in the church, you know, you're sort of, as they say, the face with the place. Like when people think of Proverbs 31, they think of you, Lisa, right? So there's probably the pressure to continue your speaking, podcasting, writing, whether that's books or even, you know, you have a massive email list. Uh, You do conferences and events. So you're familiar with the pressure to quote, show up. What, what do you do when you are the visible communicator or the, mo- I know you're not the only one, but when you're the most visible, when you're the person associated with that, how do you determine what to pull back from and what to, to stay with? Great question. So just because I can do something doesn't mean that I'm the only one who can do something. But then there are other things where, you know, only I can do this particular thing. And so I took that consideration. What are some things that I'm doing that other people could be doing equally as good and maybe even better? So I kind of listed out some of those things. In the middle, what are some things that only I bring to the table? I listed those things out. And then this other consideration was, what makes me fulfilled as a leader? Because I don't want to live from an empty place. I want to live where part of my job is costing me something, but part of my job 
is breathing life back into me. And so I listed out these things that I really, really enjoyed. And then these things that kind of seemed to suck the life out of me. Then I started doing this thing called a global calendar where I sit down the fall before the next year and I look at everything that's happening the next year. And before a bunch of things get added to my calendar, I block my personal time first. Then I block out time for those activities that breathe life into me as a leader. Then I let go of those things. I make the conscious choice to let go or delegate those things that other people could do equally or even better than me. And then um, the things that only I can do, then I list out the responsibilities that come with that chunk of task and we get it all scheduled so that I don't have this awkward tension of letting life just eat away at my calendar. I take my calendar and build my life. You know, I started a version of the global calendar a few years ago where I don't accept speaking engagements uh, more than six months in advance into a new year. It just got, you know, the next two years were mortgaged before we even got to them. Right. And that's so life-giving, blocking personal time. But I haven't taken it as far as you have. I think that's a really interesting practice, Lisa, of like taking that life-giving list. And that's probably a clue to what you're uniquely gifted for, right? If it's giving you energy, it's probably your, you know, people call it a superpower. It's how God gifted you. It's what wired you. Um, and, and you map that out. How do, how do you do that? Like, do you just say, okay, I'm going to write another book and therefore you know, March, April, May are going to be book writing or research or like, can you break that down a little bit more? Yeah. So I'm always working on writing because that falls into the category of only I can write the content that comes from me. And so, and it's really important. My content feeds a lot of what happens in all the areas of the ministry. And I made the decision that it was crucial for me to be the writer. And then I needed to find people to hire who could maximize my writing so I wasn't duplicating my efforts. So, you know, what that looks like is I will give, you know, maybe I'll write a devotion. And from that devotion, the social media team has different parts that they can pull for what they've got going on. And other teams can use this verbiage for other initiatives so that content gets maximized. But um, my book writing process is six months of research, six months of writing, six months of editing and writing the Bible study, and then six months of pre prepping for release. So I'm always kind yes. of in that mode. But here's the thing that was even more important than figuring out how to schedule the things I love. The things I love, they don't feel like burdens on my schedule, so those are easy to write in. But I had to find what are those things that are like fire ants in my schedule that just really, I cannot stand. I just can't stand it. And so I did something pretty unconventional and I quit email. I just found that email drove me nuts. I was in a bad mood every time I opened my email. And I was just curious, what if I quit email is the world going to stop? Is the ministry going to fall apart? Am I going to lose out on every opportunity? But here's what I found is um, 
the world didn't end. The ministry didn't stop. It actually continued to grow and people figured it out. And so when I quit email, it wasn't like a big meeting that I had. I just quit. And my team figured out that it was good to set up a meeting. And so we call it our, I don't remember what we call it, actually. It's just our our planning meeting where the team gets together. And when people figured out they could no longer email me, they emailed different people on the team. And it was better for me than staring at a whole list of emails to have the team come together and it maximized my efforts. So my team that's around me, instead of me having to email this person and say, let me check with this person and, oh, I don't know about this. So let me first find out about that. You know, that just wears me out. And then you've got this long chain of emails and you're trying to figure it all out and it's just too much. So we get together about every week and a half, two weeks, and the team just gets together and they have all the requests and we just talk through it and it maximizes the time. It takes us about an hour and that gets me through two weeks worth of requests in an hour because everybody's there. Everybody puts their mind on it and it just works. And I quit email and I lived through it, lived to tell about it, happier for it. That's so good. You know, we banned email in our company too. You're not allowed to uh, email another team member. There's a third party from the outside. You can jump on it, but you're not allowed to. I cannot email my assistant. And it's really life-giving. We can go into that another day. What are some other things, you know, that were on your, oh, I don't love doing this list. Just to give us an idea of what you gave yourself permission to get out of. I don't like um, long meetings. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. And I, I, when I look at my calendar and there's a bunch of meetings on it, I start to get this feeling of, uh, this week has so many meetings, you know, I love the people I work with and I love interacting with them, but I just really don't love meetings. And so, and yet Proverbs 31 is a big enough organization where it's, becoming more and more important to have some pretty big meetings on a regular basis, especially business meetings and, and um, strategic meetings and, and all of that. So I decided to delegate the role of CEO to one of our executive directors. And so I am now the CVO of Proverbs 31 Ministries, Chief Visionary Officer and president. So I'm still the boss. The buck still stops with me, but I no longer have to attend all the business meetings. Instead, there's a quarterly big business meeting that I attend. And um, other than that, the CEO keeps me well-versed and informed. And she and I will have phone calls and meetups where we talk about Um, anything crucial that she needs to navigate according to the vision of the organization. But then I've just turned her loose to run the business side of it. And I'm so much happier. Was that hard to let go of to appoint someone else CEO of the organization you started? No, it wasn't hard for me to let go of that because first of all, my identity is not tied to that position And that position demands certain activities that I can do, but they just don't breathe life into me. And I felt like another person could do it and do it 
with even more enthusiasm than me. And that position deserved more enthusiasm than what I was bringing to it. And um, I think it's been great. So I didn't really struggle with it, but I think it's because I was able to be honest with myself and aware enough to know I'm 53 years old and I've reached an age and stage in my life where I, I want to do what only I can do so that I feel like I have the greatest impact. So, yeah. Hmm. If, if, if you don't mind, because um, I also do not like long meetings, but I'm curious, what would go on inside you when you were in a meeting that was too long? Uh, I think a lot of leaders can probably relate to that. What what would happen inside Lisa? Well, I would feel the pressure to insert my voice and something really intelligent in a meeting just so I could keep my brain there because otherwise my brain was just going all these different places of all the other stuff that I could be doing, yeah. should be doing, needed to be doing. And so... I found that I was just trying so hard to insert something to prove that I was still a good leader, but that just added time to the meeting that, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes it was good, but sometimes it just wasn't necessary. And so I found it's much more valuable for me and the CEO, the new CEO, to have those conversations where I insert anything that needs to be inserted, but I also have the freedom to make it a 10-minute conversation rather than a two-hour meeting. And then I'm able to add what's absolutely necessary and no more. And um, I think that works. And also what was happening inside of me is a sense of dread. You know, when I when I look at my calendar and there's just too many meetings focused on too much of the business side of running the ministry, I just start to have this sense of dread, and I don't like that feeling. Now, obviously, I have responsibilities that don't particularly excite me, but I need to be responsible with those. But not everything I was putting on my calendar needed to be my responsibility, and it was good for me to pay attention to that sense of dread. How would uh, the people at Proverbs 31, your coworkers, say things are going since you've made those changes? Well, we could bring them in and you could ask them. <laughs> I heard Meredith was in the room. Ask Shay what's going on, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that they would say it's going well because um, Meredith is actually the new CEO, Meredith Brock. Oh, awesome. And um, she is just in her element. She just really is. And I'm in my element. And I think it has provided for more stability and and more vision for the future and longer range planning, which is absolutely crucial in this season of what we're calling dual transformation. Meredith read a really good business book called Dual Transformation, and that is being honest about where the dollars in your organization are having the greatest impact and being honest where something is a legacy project, but maybe it's not having the impact that it needed to. So you have to free up time and resources from the less impact, the lesser impact things so that you can identify the new growth engine to carry your organization into this next season. And there's been so many market disruptors, even in ministry, maybe especially in ministry, 
Mm-hmm. And um, we have to pay attention to those. And Meredith is able to give her full attention to all of that, which provides a bigger and stronger ability to not get caught in the downward flow of what can happen if you keep doing things the same way, but rather revamp and re-energize and identify new growth engines. And we've done that and I love it. And that in and of itself brings life to me. Yeah. You know that, and we're going to get to boundaries and goodbyes, but uh, that is worth camping on because I think, you know, when you look at the disruption of 2020, 2021, a lot of churches and a lot of businesses just snapped back to the way it was in 2019. And they were shocked to realize it doesn't work. And we just had, we, I was telling you before we hit record, you know, we just came off a, our, our fall retreat as a staff and we redirected our focus. We actually are shutting down a couple of things that we have done for a long time that you would call, you know, legacy initiatives that we've had. And I remember, you know, our mutual friend Reggie Joyner told me years ago, it doesn't take a leader to kill something that's dead. It takes a leader to kill something that's good. And I think that's true. Um, that can be hard for leaders. And I I just want you to say more about that, I guess, but that can be really hard for leaders, particularly, you know, I imagine some of those things that were legacy programs were your idea, Lisa, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever the timeframe was. What is the process for you as a leader to sort of pronounce something dead or, or no longer helpful? Um, when maybe it was your idea or really served you well for a season? Like what is what what does it take inside your organization to do that? Well, first of all, I think sometimes maybe that move needs to be swift, but most of the time I would encourage leaders to take steps, not leaps, so that you can manage other people's emotion around changes because change can create a whiplash effect that some people will not be able to handle within the staff or even within the audience that you're reaching. And so take steps, not leaps. Um, Be honest about resources. You have limited resources, not because you're a bad organization, but because you're an organization that has limited resources, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you need to be honest with that and recognize you're going to have to identify with the disruptors that are in the marketplace. You're going to have to identify your new growth engine. And the new growth engine is going to look different than some of the legacy projects. It has to look different, not just because we went through COVID, but because of the skepticism that people developed during COVID. And we would be wise to just get brutally honest with where people are at. And, you know, people right now are at a more skeptical place of churches and religious organizations. They are tired of being taught what they should do, and they're considering now what they could do. And so when we paid attention to those kind of disruptors and those kinds of um, skepticisms, we, one of our new growth engines is a podcast that we decided to shift resources toward, and it has served us really well. And the podcast is Therapy and Theology, and Paying Attention to the Disruptors, our tagline for Therapy and Theology for, you know, just to give people a vision of what we're offering in Therapy and Theology, because the title is pretty apparent, what we're offering. But 
paying attention to people's skepticism, our tagline is, we're not going to tell you what to think. We're going to give you a lot to think about. And so that, that shift is paying attention to the skepticism of people today and letting them know you have the freedom to come to your own conclusions. We're going to educate you, though. So we're not going to tell you what to think. We're going to give you a lot to think about. And that seems to fit where people are at considering the disruptors that they've experienced and the disruptors we've experienced, too. Is there an example of something you used to do that you're like, yeah, it's just not getting the same mileage anymore? Well, I think there's several over the history of Proverbs, you know, there's been several things that we've had to kill, but then there's been other things we've had to revamp Mm -hmm. and, um, and do it a different way. So, you know, uh, I would have told you 15 years ago, the two biggest areas of our ministry were the radio show and the uh, magazine. Well, we no longer have a magazine. We transitioned those resources to social media. We no longer have a radio show. We transitioned those resources to a podcast. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was us getting honest with where people are at, how people like to consume information. And instead of trying to retrain society to stay with what you have always done, we've got to stay authentic to solid Bible teaching for us and authentic to what we're offering. But we've got to be honest about how we're delivering that because people are consuming information. They're consuming teaching. They're consuming instruction in a completely different way than they used to. And so that's important. How do you how do you pay attention to that? Like, where do you get your insights as to where momentum is gathering, where it might be? Because you can look at it, okay, the air is coming out of the radio balloon or out of the magazine or whatever. You can look at declining numbers, but it's not as intuitive to know, oh, and we should go here. Or, because you've been podcasting for a while, like, how did you determine, oh, it's, we're not going to tell you what to think. We're going to give you a lot to think about. How do you determine that that was the thing that was going to carry you the next 10 yards down the field, so to speak? Well, we decided to invest in making this a person's full-time job. So this is what she does. And it is one of the best investments we've ever made, um, is she pays attention every single day to measuring everything. Then she puts those measurements together in a report And she brings that report and educates everyone. This is how the audience reacted. And these are the metrics. And this is what it's telling us. And so once she gets those metrics, even before she presents them to the larger staff, um, she has a strategy team meeting where our social media gal comes, our um, head of our creative department comes, that includes our podcast department. And um, a few other strategic people, but they lead a strategy team. So she is analyzing this, not void of departmental information, but with the department heads so that they can make a really good report to the leaders of Proverbs so that we can make very strategic and very nimble real-time decisions. So I can call my team any given day and I can say, how did this post perform and 
You know, what is that telling us? And they can give me that information at the drop of a hat because it's somebody's full-time job. And it's not just metrics around social media. It's metrics around every aspect of the ministry. Hmm. That's really interesting. So that that raises another question in my mind, which is, on the one hand, you have what your audience is telling you, what the metrics are telling you. On the other hand, you've got your gut as a leader or where you think you should go. Um you know, we debated this on our team. I have a particular style. I'm not in on the latest Instagram trends. I never did TikTok dances. You know, where where do you draw the line at? Oh, Lisa, we need to get you doing TikTok dances on TikTok. Like, how do you how do you navigate that tension as a leader, trying to be true to who you are, but also listening to the numbers? Yeah, I don't do TikTok dances either. <laughs> I didn't think you did. I'd never seen one. No, but you can, you know, my team has gotten really good about taking my content and helping me to do some reels that are very in line and in keeping with the content that I'm writing. And so a big part of a lot of the publicity around good boundaries and goodbyes is instead of saying, oh, I don't do Instagram reels, um, saying, let's try it. And those have been the posts that have actually performed the very best and connected people to the book in an even deeper way. But it's true to who I am. It's not a dance. It's true to the content that's being created. And so, yeah, I think that's really important. So I'm reading through Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. And, you know, it's written very much one-to-one, personal. This is how you deal with it in a relationship, in friendship, in life, but I'm also reading it through a leadership lens going, I don't think leaders have very good boundaries. Can you give us like um, some examples of, of when boundaries fail us as people and in leadership? And then that'll sort of launch us into a conversation around that, that I think will be really helpful to leaders. Yeah, great question. So healthy boundaries don't fail us. Um, healthy boundaries actually help us communicate three important things. This is what I have to give and what I don't have to give. This is what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. This is what I will tolerate and what I will not tolerate. So those three things are very, very important. And when we combine that with a realistic understanding of our capacity in all the different areas of our life in this season of life, based on the responsibilities that are set in cement, then it allows me to make better informed decisions around boundaries. Boundaries are not something we put on other people. Boundaries are something we put on ourselves to remain self-controlled. And we have to understand that the purpose of the boundary is from a place of love. So we want to, just like the subtitle of the book says, we want to love others well without losing the best of who we are. So I'm going to flip the interview on you for a second. Okay. And I'm going to prove to you, you're already doing this really well. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Do you have a bank account? I do. Do you have a security passcode on your bank account? Yes, I do. Um, Do you think it would be wise right now for you to share with all of your listeners information, how they could have complete access to your bank account, including the security password? Uh, Yeah, not wise, not wise. Do not share this with anyone, I think the bank says. (laughs) Okay, so is that because you're unkind? Yeah, no, no. Is it because you're a selfish leader? 
I hope not. No. Is it because you're unchristian? No, no. We give out of that account. Right. Because you have limited resources in your account, right? And if you give everyone free access to those limited resources without making sure they can be completely responsible with that kind of access, then you'll go bankrupt, right? Yeah. So we know this so well with our bank account. We just forget it with other areas of limited capacity in our life. We have limited emotional capacity. We have limited time capacity. We have limited relational capacity and on and on and on. You see, to the level that we give someone access to us, we have to make sure that to give that kind of access that they will bring that level of responsibility. Where the tension often Mm -hmm. happens for a leader is they give level 10 access, but someone, that person that given level 10 access to, they're only bringing level three responsibility. And the difference there is where dysfunction grows and where there's a need for a boundary. So in the the mistake I've made in the past as a leader is I've tried to put boundaries on this other person to try to force them to raise their level of responsibility up to the level of access that I've given them. But we can't control another person or force them to change if they're unwilling or incapable. So I have to put a boundary on myself. And doing that means that I reduce the level 10 access down to level three, because that's their level, that other person's level of demonstrated responsibility. So access and responsibility are two very crucial words that have really changed the way I look at boundaries. Boundaries are an effective communication tool. They're not to shove others away. They are to help us stay self-controlled and keep the best of who we are operating front and center. You know, that's such a helpful analogy, the bank password analogy. And I loved it when I read it in the book. And that got me, you know, thinking. So take a look at at the growth of an organization. So Proverbs 31 probably started at a keyboard with you and an idea. Fair? That's how it started. And then you hired an assistant. Then, I mean, I don't know the exact history, but it's a pretty familiar pattern. And you had 12 readers to start, right? Well, access is pretty easy then. It's like, I emailed Lisa, she emailed me back. She gave me her cell number. We talked, we had a conversation. That's how almost everybody starts. Like, And the same is true in church leadership and corporate leadership. If you're a startup, you want access. And you know, in church leader world, all the barriers between 200 and 1,000 in attendance are about access. There are other barriers, but it's like, the people you started with are like, how come you don't visit anymore? How come you don't do pastoral care? How come this person was in the hospital? And, you know, the answer to that is you can't. You can't care for 200 people the way you care for 20. You can't carry care for 1,000 people the way you care for 10. You just can't. And you had that at Proverbs 31 too, right? Now you don't do email. So if you email Lisa, you're not going to get a response. Um, help leaders understand the different phases of providing that access? Because I think that is one of the hardest aspects of scaling anything. And and I ended up, like I I had to figure it out and I was helped by some really good books along the way. But you kind of feel guilty. You kind of feel like a bad person. You feel like, oh, I should be there for that person. They're sick. They had a heart attack. 
you know, but we scaled pastoral care through small groups, et cetera, et cetera. So talk us through that. How do you get over the guilt and the weird emotions that come with drawing boundaries as you grow? Well, you know, one thing that I think can trip leaders up is that Bible verses have been weaponized against boundary setting that make us feel really guilty, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of those is, well, Jesus laid down his life for his friends. Like, are you not willing to lay down your life for other people? And Jesus did lay down his life for a high and holy purpose. He did not lay down his life to enable bad behavior to continue. So healthy people respect healthy boundaries. If you draw a healthy boundary and someone doesn't respect it, that's more on their misplaced expectations than it is on your irresponsibility. You're not trying to be irresponsible. You're trying to be realistic. And so I think it's important for us to define that just because someone else has an unhealthy perspective of the kind of access they should have on, you know, to you or an unrealistic ex, uh, expectation of you, that doesn't make you a bad person that should induce guilt. You know, sometimes it just is what it is. So here's where I would get in trouble, Carrie, yeah. is that I would say, well, you know, I struggle with people pleasing. Okay. As I dug around in that, I started to realize I wasn't people-pleasing just to keep other people happy. I was people-pleasing to keep them happy so that they wouldn't take from me what I feared they might take from me if I didn't say yes to them. Hmm. So, and I felt I might not be okay if they took that away from me. And what so, was that? What was that that you were afraid they were going to take away from uh, you? Their support their acceptance, their willingness to uh, help me out the next time I needed to be helped out, um, their approval, um, so many things, you know. But if I'm living in fear that if I draw a healthy boundary, this person may walk away from me, chances are that person's eventually going to walk away. So it's better to draw the boundary and communicate what is and is not realistic. It's better to do that than to get in this weird dysfunctional dance of avoiding that person, which will absolutely make them want to walk away because they don't understand what's going on. So it's so much better to have that clarity of saying, you know, dear Sally, thank you so much for your request. That means a lot to me that you would want to blah, blah, blah with me. While my heart says, yes, 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 the reality of my time makes this a no. Thank you for understanding my need for realistic constraints or paying attention to the realistic constraints of my time. Now, if Sally is a healthy person, Sally is going to recognize she also has a limited capacity and she will appreciate your limited capacity. But if Sally is an unhealthy person, an unhealthy person has never met a boundary that they like. And so somebody else's health is not yours to manage. Your health is what is yours to manage. And mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. 
Sometimes as leaders, we get into a bad place with our mental health because we stop being committed to reality. Boy, that there's a lot there. I'm taking notes. Um, what do you do when somebody interprets your placing of a boundary? No, I'm. I'm. You're say, gonna say it a lot nicer than I'm gonna say it now. But like, no, we're not gonna have that meeting. No, I'm not gonna do your event. No, I'm not gonna go to the hospital. No, I'm not gonna come to that thing you're doing. A lot of people tend to, and I think you're right. It's the unhealthy ones. They take it as rejection. They they think that they have unlimited access to you. And whole churches have been trained that way to think that way. By the way, which is another issue for another day. Um, how do you deal with that when they see that as rejection, when they take it personally? Well, you could be very, very gracious in how you say it and, you know, ask yourself, okay, I can't do this, but what can I do? For example, you know, if, if somebody is in the hospital and they've been, you know, a, a committed member to your church and you do you realistically have a few minutes to stop by the hospital? You probably do. But if you don't have that, if, if it really is not realistic to stop by and it's going to start tipping your capacity over into the danger zone, then, but you still feel like I need to do something, then ask yourself, what is the something I can do? Maybe you can't go visit them, but maybe you can make a phone call. Maybe you can send a card, you know? And so we don't want to just get so rigid with our boundaries that we stop considering the options that are available that would mean something to people. But we need to do it because we have a heart that says, do this. And maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, Carrie, you need to do this. Pause. You need to do this. And and following what the Holy Spirit is instructing us is going to be absolutely crucial for church leaders. And I think Andy Stanley said this one time, and it really stuck with me, do for one what you wish you could do for all. But I would add to that and say, but don't stop doing it for the one. Don't don't let your leadership get to the place where you say, I will never go visit someone in the hospital. I never perform weddings. I never, you know, attend that meeting. So we want boundaries to be effective communication tools. This is what I have to give, and this is what I don't have to give. But don't lose sight of giving something. And if your schedule really is so jam-packed that you can't care for the individual and you're only paying attention to the crowd, then you need to scale back some of the crowd ministry so that you can still have a heart for individual ministry. Yeah, there's a connection, you know, between that, do for one, what you wish you could do for everyone, and even Dunbar's number, which is this idea that you can really only have three to five close friends and 10 to 15 friends and 150 people you know well. And I think there's a difference between that longtime member who's been there for a long, long time and the random person who showed up last Tuesday, right? You don't treat everybody quite the same way. So I completely agree with that. If the Holy Spirit says that that person that showed up on Tuesday, you know, here's what I'm convinced of, Carrie. Hmm. When we get to heaven, I don't think Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you reached 5,000 people on a weekly basis. I think the conversation is going to go a little more like this. Remember that random Tuesday where you stopped just for a few minutes 
and you walked out to the area where your church gives out the, you know, bags of food and you spent 20 minutes, 30 minutes just loving on that individual. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. So I agree with that. And yet to do that in something that's growing and not 10 people does mean that you categorically or consistently say no to a lot of things. Is that fair? To some things, yeah. Yeah. But but I think it's a conscious decision that I had to make a while ago as my organization grew. And I guess some people would say as my platform grew, um, I had to intentionally look at the life of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He ministered to the crowds. He ministered to small groups and he ministered to the individual. And I dare not think that my platform has gotten so big where I lose sight of ministering to the individual or I'm going to lose something very, very significant about being in ministry. So it's an intentional choice to arrange your schedule and your capacity so that you still have moments to be led by the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, I say no to email. Yeah, I gave up email and you would be surprised how much time that freed me up. I also, my voicemail has been full since 2017. (laughs) And I keep it full because I need to have white space in my life to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely crucial for me. Good. Any other examples? Uh, Do you have any other guidelines about what you do, what you don't do these days as you manage your time? Yeah. So like today I have a media day. I don't stack the media so full that I have no gaps in my schedule because I'm here at the office and I value personal relationships with the people that I work with. Now, I can't be best friends with all 70 employees, but if I have a 30-minute gap, I will order some chocolate chip cookies to be delivered, and I will personally, during that 30 minutes, walk around and interact with my staff because I love them, and I want to do that. But that's not possible if I stack all of my meetings or all of my responsibilities minute by minute by minute. I intentionally leave some gaps so that I can be led to go have a conversation with this person or just go sit down in this leader's office and say, hey, I care about you. What's going on in your personal life? You know, what is there something you need right now that our organization could help pay attention to for you? Um, and I just think that's important, super important. Yeah. How, how do you know it's time to move from a boundary to a goodbye? Well, Going back to access and responsibility, if someone is consistently bringing zero responsibility, and I don't mean that they just made a mistake, we all make mistakes, and that's what grace is for, you know? But I mean, if that if it's not a mistake, they're bringing zero responsibility, and it's a repetitive pattern of behavior, and it's something that they they are unwilling or incapable of of bringing more responsibility, then if their responsibility is a zero, take steps, not leaps, but you're going to have to reduce the access possibly down to a zero. 
not because you don't love them, but because you are acknowledging reality. And it's not walking away from another person if they're bringing zero responsibility and it's very consistent that they're bringing zero responsibility. You don't have to feel like you're walking away. You're acknowledging reality. You're responding to the pattern of behavior that is not healthy. And you're acknowledging this is not healthy. And it's okay to do that. Can you give us a few signs of like zero responsibility? Because I think you're right. Most people, and that's the reason I'm kind of hard on stuff that we've been talking about, is most people do have good hearts and they're open. And perhaps sometimes they need to make more judicious choices. In other words, yeah, your time would be, you would have more margin. Because the other, you know, the other people who pay for a lack of boundaries is the people closest to you. That's your right. kids, right? It's your partner. It's the people closest to you because you're like, oh, I don't have time for dinner tonight because I'm out here doing this. So what are some signs? Because I think mo- you're right. Most people are good hearted. And there's a fantastic couple of sections in the book, I think, where you look at misquoted scripture and scripts that you can use when you get put in in tight situations. So I recommend people pick it up. But um, can you give us an idea of just like, oh yeah, this is this is a line that got crossed. And this is probably more a goodbye than just because the boundary isn't working. When you feel like you have to diminish the best of who you are to cover up for the worst of someone else, you need to pay attention to that. Throughout Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, I provide lists of self-awareness and reflection and consideration because sometimes it's better for us to see a list of questions and start considering some things than it is for us just to pull that out from within us. Um, So these lists throughout Good Boundaries and Goodbyes are going to be really helpful and important for people. But also pay attention. Where are you starting to mentally say, I just can't take it anymore? Or, you know, this is wearing me out or I'm about to lose it on this person. You know, pay attention to that because where there's relational chaos, there's usually a lack of boundaries. And where there's a lack of boundaries, there's going to be dysfunction over time. And where there's dysfunction over time, that's going to be pretty detrimental to the relationship, especially if the relationship shifts from being difficult to destructive. Well, there's a lot more in the book. Lisa, if people want to track with you online these days, tell us about the book, uh, anything you've got going on. Congrats again on the launch. And uh, I imagine this one was extremely difficult to write, but I'm really glad that you've done it. Well, thank you, Carrie. Yeah, it was it was hard to write because it's hard to live, you know? I mean, just because we're having like a neat, tidy conversation around boundaries today, I acknowledge it's not easy, but it is worth it. Because better boundaries do lead to better relationships. And I'm a I'm just I've seen it happen in my own life. So people can track me on Instagram at Lisa Turkhurst. They can also um, find me on Facebook using my name as well. And then the book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are, it's available wherever books are sold. Awesome. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. Well, I hope that was a really helpful interview and we've got show notes for you and transcripts. And I thought that was a good discussion. You know, where is the line with boundaries and how do you keep a tender heart? Really appreciate 
Lisa's perspective on so many things. You can learn more, including links to everything that we talked about over at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 533. Uh, and that's free, of course, just like this podcast is, it's free to you. We do want to thank our partners for being part of this because they make it possible to do this for free every week. Overflow can empower your donors to easily give stock donations. And if you're interested in that, go to overflow.co slash carry. That's overflow.co slash carry to learn more about year-end pricing and download their free stock giving guide. And it's not too late to meet the needs of a child in poverty this holiday season. Simply go to compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. That's compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. Well, guess who's back next time on the podcast? Pat Lencioni. I'm so pumped for that. I love Pat. And here is an excerpt. I remember the day I went to church. I went to mass. I'm Catholic. And I said, God, I, I want to get all the way there with you. Because the, the parable of the sower was always what convicted me. And I always was the thorns. And I would go, hey, I, and I literally would go, I made it to level three. That's better than level one and two. And one day I realized... Oh no, level, the thorns will choke off it, the cares of the world. And so I, I kneeled down after communion, received the body of Christ, and I was like, God, please get me to the fourth. I don't want to live in the thorns. And I remember this really strong impression that he said back to me, are you sure? Do you know what this is going to require of you? And that's what I was like, yes, God, I have to. Am I ready for this? I know I'm not but there's nowhere else for me to go. So please take me there. And I honestly feel, I mean, I honestly believe that he stripped me that beginning that day, slowly stripped me of all my attachments to worldly things. And it was horrific. We're going to talk about, well, we're going to do an update and we're going to talk about the latest project that he's got on and a whole lot more. Uh, Patrick's one of my favorite leaders. And also coming up, we have Brian Clark from Copy Blogger, Tyler Statton, Sean Cannell, James Clear, Annie F. Downs, Mark Schultz, Erwin McManus, and so much more. Uh, if you subscribe, you get it all automatically and for free. I listen on Overflow. I'll, most of you listen on Apple Podcasts, a bunch of you on Spotify. Wherever you listen, subscribe. You'll get it automatically every time for free. Now, if you like this episode, before we go, not only leave a rating and review, but I've got something I'd love for you to check out. It's the Art of Leadership Academy's Church Growth Program. It's open for enrollment, and it will help you position your church for growth in 2023. I do a comprehensive look at church growth, why it happens, why it doesn't happen, and what you need to do to scale your leadership. What I talked about with Lisa today, that's a very real thing. And I'll walk you through how to scale pastoral care how to scale governance, how to scale, well, your whole church to past a thousand in attendance. If you're interested, check it out and start 2023 on a high note by going to theartofchurchgrowthcourse.com. That is theartofchurchgrowthcourse.com. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. <laughs>